Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guests on the pod are dynamic poker book writing duo, Dara O'Kearney and Barry Carter. Their latest book, PKO Poker Strategy, has been a massive hit straight out of the gate. Don't worry if you're not familiar with PKO-style tournaments or where they came from, because Dara and Barry are going to explain it to you in depth in our conversation. Since both of these dudes are veterans of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, we had a few talking points and then spent the other 90% of our time just making fun of Barry. I might otherwise feel bad about picking on Barry so much, but as I was putting together the hashtag PokerGoat book tournament, On Twitter, I realized Barry is the co-author of three, if not four, of the most influential poker books of all time. The Mental Game of Poker 1 and 2, PKO Poker Strategy, and Poker Satellite Strategy. For that I say, very well played, my man, and when it's time for me to write a book, I know who my first choice for co-author is going to be. Whether or not you find it in your heart to work with me will be a different story. In today's conversation, you're going to learn the writing process that Barry and Dara use to ensure their books are great for any level of player, our thoughts on the recent explosion of online MTT poker tournament series, the one thing you can do to ensure you get under Barry's skin, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the best-selling authors of Poker Satellite Strategy and PKO Poker Strategy. Dara O'Kearney and Barry Carter. Barry, Dara, how we doing? Very good. How you doing, Brad? Yeah, I'm great. Delighted to be back. I'm doing very, very well. I have my list of talking points in front of me, but I didn't want to sell any audience member short who's tuning in right now. I wanted to cover why... Barry looks like a badger, first and foremost, so that nobody misses that. Yeah. Well, it's because I have this white streak in my head that isn't gray. It's not gray. It's actually a natural white streak. It's called a Malin streak. Um, And I've had it since I was nine. And unfortunately, last week on Twitter, some random account stumbled across the idea of calling me Badger, which was my nickname at school. So it brought brought some stuff back. (laughs) So it has nothing to do with the fact that you look like a Badger all in the face. It's one of those those self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, like, you know, (laughs) people start saying it. And uh, I'm glad that Badger stuck because at least the Badger is like considered quite tough if you you know your animals, whereas the the other nickname (laughs) I had at school was Skunk. So, um, oh dear, yeah, that's worse. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah not that's <laughs> Dara would yeah. have never wanted to write a book with skunk. Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be very difficult to sell a book with, with skunk on the cover. Speaking of the book, PKOs, what is a PKO? 
let's start there for the American audience that might not be familiar. Sure. Uh, PKOs are something which started online a few years ago. I believe uh, Winamax, the French site, were the first to introduce them. Uh, there's always been what we call old-fashioned bounty tournaments, uh, which go by various names as well. Um, I've heard them called headhunters and scalps, etc. But the idea in a bounty tournament is that everybody just, ha- you, you, you get a fixed amount of the buy-in every time you knock somebody out. And that sort of spices things up and makes the tournament more interesting and gives you something else to think about other than just where I'm going to come in the tournament. But the genius of the PKO is that every, while everybody starts with the, with the same bounty, when somebody eliminates a player, half, they, they win only half that bounty initially and the other half gets added to their own bounty. So as the tournament progresses, the bounties get bigger and bigger. So let's say, they, let's say I bust somebody and they have a $100 bounty. Yeah. What, what happens? You get $50 immediately. Uh, in usually it's it, usually it's a 50 50 split there can be different splits but 90 percent of the time you get 50 dollars immediately so that's paid into your account and the other 50 dollars goes on on your bounty so now you've got 150 on your head so if i now subsequently knock you out i get 75 dollars of that 150 and uh, 75 goes on my uh, gets added to my bounty so as you get deeper and deeper into the tournament the bounties get get huge and by the time you get heads up you basically have um, massive massive bounties in play so it, it adds a whole new dimension to the tournament they were immediately very very successful uh, when, on Winamax when they were introduced to the, to the point that it became pretty quickly the dominant form uh, of tournament poker on the when site was, when was that um, I'm, I'm not sure on the exact date but I'm going to say maybe five six years ago okay so um, five years ago yeah and yeah and uh, poker stars introduced them pretty quickly shortly afterwards and, and, and partied it as well. And the same thing happened. I mean, if you go on to poker stars, for example, now any random evening, all of the bigger buy-in, oh, sorry, all of the bigger prize pool tournaments, uh, well, not all of them, but most of them will be PKOs um, because they've been so popular with recreational players that uh, the other tournaments have, have have tended over time to just get smaller and smaller. People prefer the excitement of a PKO and um, and the PKOs have gotten bigger and bigger. And, you know, like there's there's uh, the first major tournament on PokerStars every night um, is one that kicks off at 5.30 p.m. UK time. And that's a $55 PKO with a 100K guarantee. So basically they're getting 2,000 runners. Now, the big 55, which used to be the big tournament on Stars, only has a 15k guarantee these days. So, what percentage of the prize pool goes to the bounties, and what stays in the prize pool? Um, usually, it's half and half. So, um, half the half is paid out traditionally, but you know where you come in the tournament, and the other half goes, and that starts in, in the form of half the buy-in being a, a bounty on each player's head. Um, so as we said, like if it's a hundred dollar tournament, everybody starts with a 50 bounty. That doesn't mean you win 50. If you knock them out, it means you win 25 and 25 goes on your own head. But, but that, that bounty has to be won by somebody at some point, even if it's the guy at the end who wins the tournament when he wins heads up, who collects all that, um, all those bounties. If you win the tournament, uh, you also get to keep all the bounties that you collected yourself during the tournament. So that makes the heads up portion of PKOs really important um, and top heavy. But yeah, it's basically half and half. And that, that, that brings up something which a lot of people, a kind of a mistake a lot of people make with PKOs. A lot of people want, you know, play PKOs reluctantly because they, don't really like the idea and they sometimes come at it with the approach of um well i'm just going to play like a normal tournament and if i win a bounty great but uh 
I'm not going to make any adjustments. Now, if you do that, you're basically effectively only paying for half the prize pool. I mean, you have a chance, obviously, of winning something from the other half, but you're not you're, you're playing far from optimally. Yeah, there's a strategic element that you have to take into consideration as far as collecting the bounties. Um, I like the way this conversation's going so far. Barry has not said hardly anything. Let's that's, <laughs> that's how it should be when it's strategy focused. Come back to me with bad jokes. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go to the entertainment side. Barry Carter, you two. I remember Barry told me off air after our interview was finished that y'all were going to be working on a book on PKOs. Now that book has been published and it's very very successful. Barry, why did you and Dara land on PKOs specifically? Uh, yeah, good question. Well, we we just finished a book on satellites. Um, and as you know, like, you know, satellites are some of the ex- most extreme forms of ICM you will see. There are spots in satellites where it's correct to fold pocket aces pre-flop. And that's why we wrote a book about it. It was, uh, it was so counterintuitive and a lot of people didn't realize that there were massive strategic adjustments. By default, I found myself better at PKOs after working on the satellite book because I just find myself in spots where I would kind of think to myself, well, in a satellite, this would be a fold, but in a normal tournament, I'm not sure. But in a PKO, this is definitely going to be a call. I kind of had this hunch that PKOs were the exact opposite of satellites in, 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 the, way that they, in the way that the adjustments manifest. And at the same time, Dara had just started working quite um, uh, sort of rigorously on the, the theory and the strategy behind PKOs. And he was, he was sort of coaching people on them. And he, he, he kind of arrived at the same conclusion in a much more formulaic and mathematically sound way. And we, we sort of knocked these two ideas about. And, you know, we, we know that PKOs are going to be the dominant form of online poker tournaments uh, on both sides of the pond at some point. So we, we kind of thought this is a good opportunity to uh, try and be the first book on PKOs. Um, and in, in many ways, it sort of was a sort of mirror image of the satellite book. So we almost had a template to work off. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a new format that needs updated strategies. And there's a lot of demand for it, clearly, if it was so popular in Europe. And now it's in the States, right? Have you noticed the popularity of your book sales? And I haven't actually played MTTs lately, as in the last decade or so. So I don't know how the PKO guarantees or how prevalent they are in the US market. How prevalent are they? Um, very big, actually. We, we, we look, it looks like we've come in at a very fortuitous time. My instinct was that what was going to happen with this book was that we were going to sell a lot of copies in Europe and not, not sell many copies in the US. And then about a, a year to 18 months from now, I was expecting that we were going to have like a second wave of, of interest from US customers as they became popular. Um, we appear to have released the book just as Global Poker and ACR have sort of introduced PKO tournaments. Uh, I've noticed ACR have just announced a $5 million guaranteed PKO tournament, um, which apparently is the biggest PKO tournament of all time. Uh, and yeah, when, when, you, um, uh, when you release a book on Amazon, you can actually see you know, where each book sale was, was made. And it's not 50-50 between Europe and, and America, but I was surprised at how close it was to 50-50 uh, with 
Americans buying the book. I really thought that would be 18 months down the line, but they're, they're already buying it. I suspect they're the shrewd early adopters on that side of the pond that are buying this book. Well, there's always opportunity when there's limited information about a specific format or game. This is why I had Melissa Burr on the podcast a few weeks ago, and she told me that basically whenever somebody wants to play a new game, she just learns it, right? If it's a less experienced, less theoretical player, and she just believes that she's naturally going to have an edge in whatever game that is. So being an early adopter to a format that a lot of people are not familiar with is just a pretty clever way of generating a massive edge straight from the jump, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something which I've learned the hard way over my career. <clears throat> like I started as a as a limit cash player online, and that was very lucrative for a while. But then limits sort of fell out of favor, and no limit became more popular. So I moved on to sit and goes. Uh, then sit and goes kind of the format got close to being solved. Um, so I went into super turbo heads up for a while. But every format, uh, the biggest edge you can have is right at the start before people have really worked out what the strategy is. And I, I found that, for example, when I started playing Super Turbo, heads up, sit and goes, um, I tracked my records ridiculously and I tended to win 62 out of every 100 that I played. Um, but by the end, it was down to 53 and uh, I couldn't really get above that. Um, because people pe- people were playing the better, and that's that's when I moved on from that format. It's the same in PKOs. Um, I re- I actually resisted playing PKOs for uh, for quite a while because I felt well, I you know I'm, I'm I'm good at normal tournaments, I'm good at satellites, so I don't really need to do this new thing. Um, but they've become so dominant online that it became point. It, it became very very clear that it was stupid to ignore this format, particularly since most of the recreational money was moving into that format. Um, yeah. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that pros want to know that they have an edge, right? Like, there's going to be a new game in the future that we haven't thought of that players are just going to naturally gravitate to. The rec players play because it's fun, Hmm. right? They're not playing the tournament because they know they have an edge. They're playing it because, oh, this is a new format. Or maybe they just sign up accidentally. Who knows how they, they enter the tournament? But the pros don't really want to venture into it until they absolutely know they have an edge. So if you are a reg, sometimes you just have to jump into the unknown, try it out, and see what's happening. And oftentimes, like you just said, it's the most lucrative earning opportunity straight from the jump. I would imagine that once everybody reads your book, the skill gap kind of closes a little bit and it reduces the edge a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it might accelerate it slightly. I feel the inevitable flow of information is such that uh, skill 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 gaps close over time anyway. I mean, of I don't course. think anybody wrote a book on super turbo heads up, sit and goes, but still my edge disappeared in that. Um, and relatively quickly, I think nine months was about as long as I, I got out of those. So, you know, we, we sometimes get accused of having killed satellites and, and people are worried that we might be doing the same with PKOs, but I kind of think that's going to happen anyway. And we might as well be the ones that help people who are genuinely interested in, in, in getting into the format. My, my thing with PQS was I actually didn't like the format early on. And the thing I didn't like about it was I just didn't, I, I knew I didn't fundamentally exactly understand the strategy. And I don't like that feeling of like not knowing what to do. So that was sort of my motivation to put a lot of work in and, and come from first principles, which is what I've always done. Every time I've gone to a new format, I've sort of gone gone back to the maths and, and, and worked out the maths from fundamentals. And once I have an idea of the strategy, then I enjoy it much more because it's um, the enjoyment for me comes from executing a, 
a well thought out strategy. But uh, I know from talking to other pros that a lot of them still resist PKOs because they just don't like the format. And every time a new format is introduced online, you hear the same thing. You hear, oh, it's just gambling. It's just luck. There's no skill. This is, this is, this is the sites uh, making, t- turning it all into a lottery, um, which is almost never true. And it's certainly not true of PKOs. Um, in fact, I think PKOs are probably the strategically richest and most complex form of tournament poker because you have this additional um, element of the, of, of the bounty and how big a factor that is. And I don't think, I also don't think it'll ever be fully solved. I mean, the reason why heads up sit and goes and norm sit and goes before them died is because the format got more or less solved, but I don't think that's going to happen with PKOs. So I think they're actually a really good thing long-term for the, for the ecosystem as well. There's two things. Number one, I am a poker coach who trains players. And if players were capable of listening to feedback and educational material, applying it instantly at the table and improving just like that, there would be no poker, (laughs) but that is not the reality of the situation. (laughs) It is hard. Sometimes they pay me lots of money and I have to hammer it into their heads over and over and over and over again. It's not like you can just write a book and then everything is ruined, right? They still have to execute at the table. and It's very difficult. It takes a lot of time. And the second thing that you were talking about is a cognitive bias, right? The ambiguity effect. People being afraid of entering into a space that is an unknown. And this is just human nature across the board. We are by nature afraid of any outcome that we don't know is positive. We don't know if it's negative. We don't know if it's positive. So we gravitate towards things that we naturally know, right? And it's Mm -hmm. always been beneficial to me to at least have this in mind. Like whenever I'm at a decision point and I'm like, hmm, should I do this or should I do this? And like everything, every fiber in my being is screaming, no, no, Brad, don't, don't do that. You don't know what's going to happen. Then I say, okay, maybe this is just how I'm constructed. And so I make myself take that option because you don't know until you do know. And I think that the quicker that people jump into the unknown, especially in the world of poker, the more it benefits them over the long term. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I, I mean, we, we are uh, prey to so many cognitive biases and for, and for good reason. Most of these cognitive biases have stood us in good stead to evolution. Sure. I mean, like our, our fear of the unknown, uh, you know, some of our ancestors may have thought, oh, maybe I'll go and pet that saber to the tiger. That, 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 that seems like a good idea. And then the rest of us are just scurried back to the cave and see what happened to him before we did anything. Yeah. And we were the ones who got to uh, propagate our our genes. But unfortunately, it's a very bad thing in poker, <laughs> all of these biases that we've collected. Even and- in modern society, a yeah. lot of them are very counter to what we want to do or what we need to do. They kind of anchor us to the ground. And we're, you know, I highly doubt that if I walk to the grocery store, I'm going to encounter any kind of tiger, much less a saber-toothed tiger, right? So, but you know, it's genetics. And it's a thing that we need to have awareness of so that we can navigate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, really, though, because we, we are at like the most dangerous time ever to have walked to walk to the grocery store. <laughs> so, so we're probably seeing those uh, cognitive biases manifest in the in the way that some people are responding to things like masks and uh, stuff like that at the moment. What do you mean responding to masks in the U.S.? There were protesting to not oh, exactly. Wear masks. Yeah, yeah. How does that no, make sense? It, I don't understand. Make this make sense to me, Barry. 
I don't know because you know after the US, I think the UK are probably the uh, the most guilty of uh, being a bit silly about these things. So I'm just glad that there's an American on the call right now. Otherwise, <laughs> it'd be me getting made fun of. So Dara, Dara can make fun of both of us. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah, I wouldn't make I, would, I certainly wouldn't make fun of both of you. I do feel sorry for you, both of you that you you're living in countries where people are not responding the most sensibly to these things. I mean, a lot of this is cultural. Certain countries are used to just doing what they're told um if the government tells them they have you know a more trusting attitude to a government let's say than um than than maybe the u.s where there's a lot of uh, emphasis on individual rights and um perceived individual freedoms so it's uh it's a tricky one for sure um i mean ireland hasn't been amazing on it either we have been better than the u.s and the uk but uh, we haven't done as well as other countries as well um like new zealand for example i think some of that is still down to the fact that we don't like being told what to do um so people sometimes ignore it even to their detriment i mean barry's better at pkos than somebody that's never played one before but it's not you know it's not something (laughs) to write home about right (laughs) I, i often i often make the remark that i'm one of the best poker players in the world because if you think about all the people in the world and most of them haven't played poker i actually am one of them in the world <laughs> yeah, solid, like, solid top 100,000 exactly yeah it's, it's, there's only like 20 million people in the world that have played poker you know I'm, I'm right up there yeah there you go you <laughs> technically you are in our talking points one of them was polk versus dnegs i don't even know a good way to segue into this i know dara you guys are uh well not you guys it's more it's more david, david it's more david's yeah, we had a bit of history with Dean Eggs, let's say, which which arose from us writing a couple of critical blogs of one of his blogs, which he reacted to very vehemently and personally, and it got quite ugly on Twitter for a, a few months. Um, yeah. He also responded negatively to when uh, our podcast, The Chip Race, won the GPI Award, blasted us on his podcast, and he booed at the ceremony and yeah, it wasn't exactly gracious. Uh, so, but I think... <laughs> wait, 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 go back. He booed at the ceremony? Yeah, he he literally booed when our name was announced. Um, we weren't there, obviously, so this, this was reported to us uh, back, but um, but he doesn't deny it either. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's fair to say he won't be on the chip race anytime soon. We won't be going on his podcast anytime soon. But actually, the latest stuff really has nothing to do with that. It's purely we're looking like everybody else is looking at, at how he's behaving on Twitch. And it's quite shocking to see someone who's still seen as the primary ambassador for poker, uh, performing or yeah, performing like a child, like a petulant child, um, threatening to beat people up, punching his laptop when he's timing out all, all of this stuff that you really don't expect from a, a, a mature adult. Um, so David has been far more vocal on this, but I do, pretty much largely agree with David on this stuff. But it has led to this situation now where Polk, who also has no love for, for Dean Eggs, it's fair to say, has managed to, to engineer this match, heads of match. I mean, whether it goes ahead or not, we don't really know. If it does, I suspect it'll be something that everybody will be incredibly interested in for about an hour. And then they'll raise watching heads up poker is incredibly boring, over 100,000 hands or 20,000 hands or whatever they end up agreeing to play. But... um yeah, I mean, it's a, it's 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 almost a throwback to me. I mean, you probably remember this too, Brad. That like ten years ago in poker, every poker argument descended into a heads up for rolls challenge. Yeah. So it feels like, kind of like a throwback to that for me. I, I think for 
both of them. It's probably good publicity. Um, yeah, for sure. Apologies to David for not recalling his name instantly. I was <laughs> looking at I was looking You're at Bar- your- looking at Barry and just feeling yeah, like, I, just for the record like i actually am not involved in the uh the chip race versus daniel negrano feud um what I've do you been, think of it what do you what's your opinion then since you're outside uh, i mean of polk versus negrano uh we'll go yeah, we'll, I, we'll start with david david lappin the david lappin negrano and then you can go to polk negrano um well i mean the only the only thing i'll say in uh, negrano's defense was that he he never saw the the blogs from david and dara coming i'm no offense to those two guys but i'm pretty certain he didn't know who either of them was so i could understand why he felt a little bit blindsided by um you know two blogs that kind of went a little bit viral um uh sort of coming at, at him if you ask me like I, I i quite like the guy i think i think he's done some good things with poker if you ask me specifically about any of the points raised in david and dara's blogs i probably agree with all of them if i'm honest <laughs> with you i think he's really really good for life poker i think he's kind of showing that he's he's probably not that great as an online poker only ambassador he's you know he's really struggling with the the twitch stuff at the moment in a way that uh, online poker natives seem to have a really natural ability to do they they can just fade the the, the nasty comments quite easily they yeah. can manage a lot of things at once he doesn't particularly look like he's um enjoying it all that much if I'm honest. he, um, he but, does not but he is um <laughs> you know you still can't help but watch the guy i mean i i do watch i do watch his um streams and a lot of other people do so i think he knows that to be a entertaining twitch um streamer you have to be kind of animated and a little bit um polarized but maybe um he's doing it in such a way that we've we've probably not seen on twitch before but yeah i I, i've got no ill will towards the guy but he does um he does bring a lot of this stuff on himself i i have very minimal opinion i do think i will say this though in dnags's defense I did think that it was a little fair, or a little fair, geez, a little unfair when uh, David clipped the video without any context of like, a troll did talk trash like about his new wife, which I think maybe doesn't uh, excuse his behavior. It is on Twitch, but just needed to be at least in, in context. Yeah, I think I think this is a, this this is probably an area which kind of shows that Daniel doesn't really understand the difference between the new paradigm and the old paradigm. I think Daniel came out of a time in live poker where, like, if somebody trash talked your wife at the table, you were absolutely within your rights to stand up and shout at the guy and scream and threaten violence. And you probably. I feel like you are if they're at the table. Yeah, that's the that that's that that that's that's very much part of the culture. That is not the culture of Twitch, though. The culture of Twitch is you have all of these trolls all the time in in, in chat trying to wind people up, and it's completely counterproductive to react to them. You just ignore them. You ban them. It's very very easy. You don't react to them by reacting to them. You're actually giving them what they want. I mean, I'm sure that troll absolutely loved the fact that he got that reaction out of Negranu. And now every other troll who sees that is going to think, oh, all I have to do to get a reaction uh, from, from Daniel is to, is to say something about his wife. So it's completely counterproductive on that front. Yeah. Um, you don't feed the trolls. Everybody yeah, knows. Don't you feed don't trolls, feed exactly. the trolls. Yeah. This, is, this is why everybody is slow rolling Mike Matisau right now yeah. when he plays online, because it's, uh, it's what in uh, sort of media circles is known as the Streisand effect, where, you know, you if you attempt to stop a particular 
behavior, you end up amplifying the behavior. If, if you try and stop a behavior in other people, I think is the yeah, uh, you end up amplifying it. I mean, it makes sense. He gave everybody a giant button to press, and so nobody should be surprised that people are now pressing that button. I mean, on the logistics of the whole, um, you know, not engaging the trolls. I mean, I mean, to be to be fair, like you know he probably gets more troll comments than anybody else in poker. And at some point, you know, you're not going to act graciously. Uh, logistically, though, you know, most of the Twitch streamers, uh, once they're a, of a certain size, um, they hire someone to, to moderate the comments. And there's usually like a five-minute delay on those comments. So, you know, somebody like Lex or Ben Sprague or something like that, they probably don't even see most of the comments um, by the time they, uh, they've hit the five-minute delay. So if he ever gets um, unbanned from which maybe you would want to get into the moderator. Why do you think it's in people's nature to tear people down? Just in general, it seems like we just want to get a rise out of our fellow man. Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, if you're, you know, no offense to anybody who's um, uh, probably listening to this whilst on Twitter or anything like that, but if you, I'd say the longer you spend time on Twitter, the, the less you have going on in your life. So, um, you know, the, stuff like this becomes a bigger part of your life. You know, I've heard it called like a, a status game. You know, if you're responding to trolls, they're playing like a status game. They're going to try and knock you down off your pedestal and take some power away from you and stuff. I, I generally think anything like that is, is usually a manifestation of somebody who doesn't have much going on in their life. So if you are a, a troll, you know, by all means, troll me because I, I, you know, there's some really, really good insults out there that I, I rather enjoy. So I'm, I'm pretty certain I won't get offended by it. But. I mean, you, you just wrote the headline for this podcast episode. Barry Carter calls oh, anybody who spends time on Twitter a loser. <laughs> well, I spend quite a lot of time on Twitter, so I'm in yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave Lappin's going to be very, very disappointed because he basically lives on there. But yeah, I mean, I think Barry makes a really good point there. Uh, like, I uh, obviously I don't get, I don't have to face the same amount of trolling comments as someone like uh, Dean X does. But but you know, you still get some. You get people trying to wind you up, uh, leaving nasty comments on YouTube or about the podcast or on Twitter. And I mean, if it comes from somebody I know and and it seems to be genuine, uh, then then that's one thing. But if it's literally some name I've never seen before, it's 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 literally going to have zero effect on me. I mean, there's absolutely no reason why I would t- I would take it to heart. And I do tend to feel sympathy for that person because I I, I imagine that, that 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 person they're in a lot of pain themselves, and the only way they sort of can express it is to try and um, bring other people down and inflict it on them. So. There's a sort of a mild sympathy, but other, but other than that, it, it really doesn't affect me, and I and I certainly would never engage. Dara, you, you're what Nick Howard would call a higher evolved human <laughs> than most people, because going like tying back in to the cognitive biases, negativity bias, we are hone in on any negative comment, and it's like a, a much higher ratio. You know, I can launch a course, and 98 percent of people can love it. And one person can make one, not even highly critical comment, but just a minor one. And that's the one that I will stare at. And it just mm. get, latches onto my brain. And I'm like, why couldn't I have crushed it for you too? But that's just me personally. Yeah, that, I, mean, I mean, that's an unfortunate bias. And, and it's obviously one most of us have. I, I think I'm lucky enough in that one, in one of my previous jobs, I used to do um, IT-based training courses. And we were quite scientific in terms of 
gathering feedback and getting people to criticize what was wrong with the course. But one thing we learned was that, you know, if you asked 10 people in a class to rate a course, you should ignore the person who gives it the highest rating and also the person who gives it the lowest rating. Yeah. Because the, because they tend to be, the person who gives the highest rating tends to be somebody who just likes everything. And the person who gives the lowest rating tends to be somebody who dislikes everything. It's the other people that are really the sort of the, the, the better measure of how good something is. Which is also a greatness bomb for if you're looking at things to buy on Amazon, pay closer attention to the four stars and the two stars than the five stars and the one stars. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a four star. <laughs> no, no that's, that's spot on. The four stars tend to be, um, tend to actually unearth something that they probably needed addressing. But unfortunately, we're, we're at an age now where everything's either amazing or terrible. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, uh, uh, chicken. I don't like chicken. One star. Hitler. He's bad. One star. They're the same thing. Wait, wait, wait. Are there people that do like Hitler? Is this where we're going with this? No, I'm just saying. One star. I think there might be a few more of them. Than we think. Uh, the headline of the show. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. Like, it doesn't have to be binary. Like, I don't think. I don't know Daniel Negreanu. I do know David Lappin. I do know myself. I do know you guys, and I would say that across the board, as human beings, there. We're not either five stars or one stars. There are many areas where we fall short, we struggle. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And before we move on from the, the four-star phenomenon, I mean, I do love reading four-star reviews. Uh, a friend of mine wrote a book last year and he got the most amazing four-star review. The guy basically said it was the best book he'd ever read and it was perfect, <laughs> but only gave it four stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that's, a, that's a tough crowd. Yeah. It, I mean, in that guy's defense though, I will say that like if I'm ranking movies from one to 10, I don't think I've ever given any movie a 10 because I just feel like as soon as I give a movie a 10, I'm going to watch another movie that I think is better. And then I have nowhere to go. Well, it doesn't mean that there's, <laughs> there's more, there can be more than one 10 though, right? That's not a single... Yeah, but he's saying the other one is better. So they can't have the same score. Oh I think. yeah. Okay. So like 9.99, just keep, yeah. just keep adding nines. <laughs> I actually don't think I've ever rated a movie 10 either. A lot of high nines, but never a 10. There you go. Very Pretty scientific. Sure Given some tens. Yeah. Oh, weekend of Bernie. Sorry, weekend of Bernie. Weekend of Bernie. That's Just your ten, yeah. Cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards, so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, 
You know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. A lot of online tournaments that are going on. Let's segue segue to that. Obviously, not so many live tournaments. What do you all make of all of these major online series that have popped up? Dara plays in more of them than me. Uh, he's probably absolutely exhausted from it now, so I'll let him take the lead. Yeah, I, I mean, I think something that interesting has happened, which is that obviously before um, lockdown, there were all these big live tournaments that were going to happen, and then they couldn't happen. And uh, rather than just say, okay, they're not happening this year, the organizers said, okay, well, why don't we have them online? Which, which is actually a very sensible reaction. So, so now you've had these really big online series. The first one that I first one that was announced was Irish Open, which was literally right at the start of lockdown. And then we've had WPTs. We have the WSOP currently running. We have a, ha, had other series. Um, Unibet Open had had their first online uh, leg ever, and these are essentially trying to appeal to the to, to the live poker crowd. But they're still materially different in the sense that, like, if you have the Irish Open, for example, which is a one k you won't get the top online players in the world traveling to play that. Um, it's just not worth their while. But you'll get all the Irish locals. Now, you run that online as a 1K, you'll still get a lot of the Irish locals. And, the, and the, the turnout was amazing. In fact, I think it was the biggest ever number of runners. But you're also going to get every single high-stakes player in the world. So now the, 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 the whole balance of power has changed. And in the run-up to that, we were, we were um, talking about how many Irish players would actually make the final table. Um, and I set the line at one. Now, as it happened, I was a little bit pessimistic. Two people made it, but you still had like seven online regs versus two um, two Irish players. You're going to see that in the other series as well. You're seeing predominantly online players dominate because it is uh, it's being played online. Obviously, some of the sites have actually been quite clever and um, innovative in in in, in um, terms of how they presented it. Like, for example, I particularly like Party's idea of using real names, which does make it feel like live poker. You know, part of the part of the um, attraction for a lot of people is when they go and play a big live event is they 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 want to know who they're playing with at the table. They can check the hand and mob, see all the results, etc., and that sort of allows that to continue. So, I think that's been a good thing. Um, some of the other series, like the WSOP, I'm not as convinced that they've done a great job. The structures are not what you would expect in an equivalent live tournament. You look at most of the WSOP final tables now, and it seems like the average stack is about eight big blinds, which is you know not, not really what we're used to. So I think maybe they should have put more thought into the fact that this is not just an online tournament. This is a tournament that a lot of live players are playing, and they, they need the live experience recreated. Live poker and online have always been two completely different uh, ecosystems. Live poker works by virtue of the fact that there are not that many big tournaments in any area. Um, so, for example, in Ireland, it's just the Irish Open every year. Um, most countries in Europe have one, two, or maybe three big tournaments a year. So the recreations will kind of save up for that. And they're well prepared to lose their buy-in because it's not, it's not something they're playing every day. But now with all of these series, which everybody can play, it does feel like it's accelerated that process by which they can lose a lot of money fast um which is bad the online ecosystem has always worked on the fact that you need the 
recreational players to be depositing constantly, playing the same tournaments every night. But but that forces the buy-in to be to be lower. You know, they're, they're typically playing twenty or fifty dollar buy-ins, so maybe they're putting on a, a grand a month or whatever, and it take it's taking them a month on average to lose it. Now with the bigger buy-in tournaments, you, you know maybe they play a one k, and that's their budget for the for the um the month, and you won't see them for the rest of the month. So. The normal tournaments, let's say online, have very much struggled the last couple of months. And Pads has talked about this extensively as well. And I think the reason is that the recreational money is just disappearing faster. Well, it's going to be accelerated. I mean, live tournaments are geographically fenced, right? That's why you go to like a Heartland Poker Tour in the US, like a 1500, it's going to be super soft because nobody's flying from Vegas to go play a 1500 in like Minnesota. Right. It's just, it yeah. doesn't make economical sense. Um, yeah, and it'll, be, it'll be mostly Minnesota players. You, you won't get people playing everybody, but if you have something like the Heartland Poker Tour, which becomes, you know, 10 stops online, then everybody everywhere can play it. And uh, it materially changes the nature of the tour. Absolutely. Absolutely. Barry, do you have anything to add? Um, well, I mean, we, we talk about the um, the financial sort of uh, cost of these things. I, I think people are starting to wake up to the uh, the mental exhaustion that they're call, causing. I mean, it's been about it's been nearly five six months of this, and um, you know, as we're recording, PokerStars have just announced the uh, their WQ series, and one of the interesting things that nobody's picked up on is the fact that there there isn't any events on Fridays for an entire month of this series. And it's basically because I think everybody's burnt out from this and they need a day off. And poker players are very, very bad at taking time off. And I, I actually suspect what is going to happen because there isn't uh, any WCOOP events on a Friday. I think all the grinders will go, well, that means there'll be no regs playing on Friday. So Friday's a soft <laughs> day, so we're going to play it. Um, but I, yeah, the, I find the, it hard to believe that Stars is putting on less tournaments so that they don't make more money for, for the players' sakes. This this is a hard hard thing for me to buy. I I I, I was I wrote something about this today. I, I was charitable towards them in that I thought maybe they're kind of taking a long term view, and you know maybe after this they're going to cool it with the series for a few months, uh, try and let the market sort of recalibrate, as it were. And um, I suspect. What might have prompted it is that Fridays are very, very quiet, generally speaking, uh, during these big series, whether it's Scoop or WQ or something. So they maybe thought, right, maybe if we gave everybody a day off and made the the guarantees a little bit bigger on the Saturday and the Sunday, maybe uh, we can do more. And, then, and also maybe they're thinking like, you know, maybe they can maintain the servers a little bit better on a Friday and all that stuff. So, no, I'm sure it was a business decision, but there might have been some element of, um, you know, realizing that players are fatigued after five or six months of this as well. I, I, I want to circle back to something Dara said too about the WSOP and the execution. I have a friend who's in the middle of New Jersey who is playing a WSOP event. He's a recreational player. And it was like a $500 buy-in. And he calls me and says, Brad, they're telling me I'm not in New Jersey and I can't log on. Like, what should I do? I'm like, okay, I'll tweet. So I tweeted, I asked Berkey, Berkey sent me uh, the email address of somebody that is involved with the WSOP. My friend contacted them. It took about 40 minutes for him to be able to log in, by which time he logged in with 50% of his stack in the small blind 
played exactly one hand and went broke, tried to contact customer support and nobody responded. He got obviously no refund, no nothing. It just disappeared. What, like, what is going on? It's like, logistically, can they just not handle it? Why are platforms so bad at customer support? Help me out. I think a lot... I think a lot of it is just is just server load. If you if you take a site like this would have happened on WSAP.com. Um and if you go onto WSAP.com on an average day, you know, there might be let's say a thousand players. But then the WSAP series series starts and suddenly there's a hundred thousand players on the site. So a lot of them just aren't able to scale up. And that's not an excuse because they obviously should see this coming and they should prepare for it. But I, I think that's the logistical reason for it. I mean, even uh, even the big sites struggle with this to a certain degree. I remember at the start of my career, Stars were not the biggest site in the UK. I think they were like third or fourth. And I remember asking somebody in Stars, "Why don't you guys push it more?" And they said, "Well, thing is, we have we're actually already close to server capacity already. And if we if we got got a significant new market like the UK, uh, that would that that would push us over the top." Um, so, so, so they, they, they were quite strategic in the sense that they kind of recognize the limitations. I think some of the newer sites that you're seeing around like WSAP.com maybe don't understand these issues as well. Historically, I've been very critical of stars, but I do give them credit recently for taking a, a, um, a much more sort of measured approach to the overall industry. Um, it's good to see that they're, they seem not to be just going for the quick book, uh, every time now they're actually running tournaments that overlays, there, I think this idea of a day off is a very good idea as well. I mean, others other sites have done it with their series as well, because you, if if you force your customers to play every day, they burn out very fast. Um, and you know, live live poker has this idea of off days, so uh, I think online poker needs to have it as well. I'm going to have a much more cynical take here and say that it's hard for WSOP to claim ignorance. I've burned all my bridges at every poker platform, so like. The podcast is never getting sponsored. I'm never getting any money from these guys. So what do I have to lose at this point? <laughs> they most likely knew, and they just didn't give a shit. They just wanted to capitalize yeah. on there not being a WSOP, and they wanted a cash grab, and so they did it. Yeah, we talked, we talked to Anton Wigo about this recently, and I told him the story of, of from my time working in IT when our company was taken over by, uh, by a large American company, and they, they got rid of customer support. And we were like, well, this is terrible. Uh, our customers need need support, and they were, and, and their argument was, look, you guys have a monopoly in your particular niche in the market. Your customers have literally no choice where to go. They're going to have to, and it just, uh, and it costs us money to answer their support, so we'll just ignore it. It's cheaper for us to uh, to ignore it because it's not going to affect our sales, and uh, customer support costs money. That's unfortunately the nature of capitalism, and you know uh, you're probably right. It's it's pretty easy to foresee that when you run a big series, uh, the numbers are going to go way up, and you're going to have to scale up. But yeah. they probably just thought they'll just take it on the chin and uh, take the extra rake, and then go back to doing what we did before. Barry, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably agree. There was a, there was a very interesting start at the um, point at the start of the online world series for GG Poker when they had their first opening weekend uh you know they, they they did a big shuffle up and deal and the first thing that happened was the 
the entire site went down and everyone was stuck for, for a day, to, forcing them to uh, postpone a bracelet event. Um, I was rather annoyed because I was literally one of the few players in that tournament who managed to get enough hands in to be eliminated and everyone else uh, <laughs> everyone else was compensated. So, um, Wait, yeah. I mean, how, how can they compensate? Every, like ICM, they can't just take your money out of the prize pool. They have to give it back to everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, it's... Um, no, this is this is the thing. I think. Uh, I mean, we we often give poker stars a bad time for you know justifiable reasons, increases in rate, the supernova elite thing, all that stuff. But I think one of the things that poker players uh, really, really overlook and sweep under the carpet when talking about a big site is their capacity to actually host poker safely and uh, you know good security and things like that. Poker stars could host. You could tell poker stars you're hosting a world series of online poker tomorrow and they would be able to handle it with ease yeah and they've got more liquidity than everybody else too they've been around a long time they've got more liquidity they've got more money but there's a reason for that so i um you, you know it's uh, you know rake is one thing games have to be beatable um, they have to. People have to be bringing in new customers from other places, and having a good infrastructure, good tournaments, uh, good uh, bandwidth, good security. These are all things that make up part of game selection too. What do you guys make of people getting sniped on GG? Somewhat uh, with, without any. It, it feels a little arbitrary because there's not any cut and dry a- actions that are kind of being enforced across the board, but what do y'all think? When you say sniping, are you referring to Twitch sniping or, or something else? No, no I'm referring to the players banned, right? For yeah. Bumps, the, the players being banned. Getting yeah. banned. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, got a, um, I, got a press, uh, I got a presser from Gigi last week. Um, they explained that they've never banned anybody for winning too much. They've only ever banned people for bum hunting. I thought it was really weird that GG Poker used the term bum hunting in a press release. <laughs> a really colloquial term. And it's I, I one of my one of my questions back to them uh, was, you know, <laughs> rather than sort of being journalistic and really saying, no, that doesn't make sense because this timeline says this. I just said, what do you say to the customers you reimburse? You know, do you use the term bum hunting? Because that's, you know, very derogatory towards um but their official line is that they've never banned anybody for winning too much. They've only ever banned people for the predatory cash game practices like uh, sitting out when players are, you know, when, when bad players leave, uh, table selection software, buttoning people, things like that. So it's a tricky one, really, because I actually think most cash game players understand uh, that these are really, really bad um practices uh, i suspect some players don't believe them when they say that they don't ban players for winning too much uh for me personally i much prefer things uh practices where it forces players to act in a more uh, appropriate way and makes it hard for them to bum hunt for example um ipoker have just introduced a new system where you have to pay a big blind before you can see the screen name of a player you're sat with. Um, that's one way of sort of making sure that people will at least play in orbit with each other, uh, run it once, do the thing of actually having random, uh, randomized anonymous names. I think that's a pretty good idea. You know, uh, blind lobbies, all these things. I much prefer things like that to just make it very, very difficult for people to, you know, sit out and stuff. Um, I I agree. It's, it's like a, 
what's the saying? Function follows form. And so, or is it form follows function? Which way does it go? I'm not sure which way it goes. But basically, when you create a process, people are going to act within that process. And so the poker operators create a process where bum hunting is a thing you can do or grimming somebody. I mean, Kevin Rabichow was on the podcast and we talked a lot about these gray areas in poker. And it doesn't take a lot of research to see, well, I have played 10,000 more big blinds than I have small blinds when I analyze my database. These guys are not going to stop grimming me. So what is my response? I'm going to grim them back, right? This is, this is the exact thought process. I don't want to give up 10,000 big blinds because I expect them to give me an edge for no reason. No, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and handle it. So this predatory behavior, like basically online platform can create a process that makes it harder to do these things so that they're not done or they disincentivize them, right? Yeah, I mean, iPoker have also introduced something uh, called global, uh, global sit-out, where if you sit out on one table, you, you are forced to sit out on every single table that you're playing, which is... Uh, Ooh, that's supposed, nice. Yeah, it's to stop the practice of um, uh, just sitting out on, on good players. I mean, I don't particularly have an issue with having a system where you, um, you know, once you sit down to a table, you're forced to play a minimum number of hands before you, before you can leave with your money again. I actually think that's not the biggest sort of uh, violation of a poker player's freedoms, and it's probably a good thing for the game. Or it needs just to be a very low number, that Barry, or you would never leave with anything. <laughs> basically, like another thing, you're playing heads up and you sit out. Basically, you have an option that is mandatory where you play a randomized number of hands, one to five, and then you leave. And if you mm-hmm. leave early, you pay that player a big blind. So you get punished if you try to leave early and game the system. Otherwise, it's just a fair system where players, you know, play the same number of small and big blinds. Yeah, I, I think there could be a problem with forcing people to play a certain number of hands before they leave in the sense that, like, say everybody else leaves and you're just left with one guy and you don't particularly want to play heads up. Um, five hands. The thing is, <laughs> like, here's the problem, right? Like, okay. five hands. Like, if I'm playing a reg, if I'm playing five regs, like, most people are like, oh, it's so horrible. Your loss rate is not big. It is like two or three big blinds if they all have an edge on you yeah. in this game. That's reg versus reg. So you're five yeah. hands. You're giving up like almost no equity. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I think we, we uh, I, I mean, we're, we're in danger of touching on to another of my bugbears now, which is rake. But I do remember like in the early days when I was a limit cash player, um, I do remember getting heads up against a guy once because everybody else had left. And I was quite happy to play him heads up because he, he was quite weak. But I don't remember the exact numbers but let's let's say we both started with a hundred dollars i ended up busting him and i had 92 dollars when i busted him so 108 dollars had disappeared in rake because we were still playing full game rake which yep. is which is obscene uh, and, well, and obviously completely unbeatable i think that i'm going to go off on a rocket ship i told nick howard the other day before we did the latest detox files that i need to get my information together but i'm gonna go off like a rocket on the poker ecosystem and how the pros have are being villainized with this system. Because at the end of the day, if there's a customer that pays 80% of the overall rake to the operator, it's going to be the pros. Yeah, yeah the, completely. Uh, it's, it, I mean, this is, this is something which Stars unfortunately introduced. Uh, I think it was almost like a distract, uh, dis- to try and distract from the terrible things they were doing. But they introduced this um, fuck the pros narrative, which was... 
uh, and to try and drive a wedge between pros and and, and recreations, and it still persists to the to this day. Unfortunately, you still do hear recreations say, "Oh well, I don't care what's bad for pros." Even, but the, the reality of everything's bad for pros is also going to be bad for recreationals in, e- in almost all cases. Even the the pros now are buying into the narrative of the ecosystem and make life harder for the pros. Like somehow hmm. we've bought into this, and we're like, "Oh well, how do we make it better?" Like it's. It's driving me up a wall. I think you can tell. I'm getting animated. Uh, <laughs> it, it's something that I feel passionate about. Yeah. At, its, at its core, poker has to remain a beatable game, which is why the, the, you know, the pros have, have to be looked after in that respect. And it has to be a game where recreational players have enough, quote, winning moments uh, to make the game enjoyable for themselves. And it's always been a balancing act. And... When you go too far in one direction, there's problems. When you go too far in the other direction, there's the sort of mirror equivalent problems. And I think, yeah, I think it's problematic when uh, people take either too hard a, you know, you've got to do uh, what the recreational players want line because then it's good for the pros and vice versa. I, it's, it's not a binary thing. Here, here's where everything falls apart for me. When a platform takes this stance, Pros are predatory. They're taking too much money from the recreational players. Let's add a sports book. Let's add gambling games. Oh, that's not predatory, right? No. What they mean is they mean pros are taking money off the site that they want, and that's what they want to prevent at all costs, right? Yeah. That, that's the end goal. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the clear end goal when Stars introduced this thing. Uh, they, they, they took a very... Um, reductive view of the marketplace in the sense that they just looked at it and thought, okay, well, where does the money come from? It comes from the losing players. They lose their deposits over time. Some of that goes to rake. Some of that goes to winning players. And they thought, well, why don't we just keep get to keep it all? Uh, we, we'll have no winning players. And that's not the way poker works. Uh, you can have other forms of gambling where there are no long-term winners, um, variance aside. But poker has always been a diff- been different in, the, in, in that a lot of the attraction for people is – when they come into the game, even if they're losers at the start, they know that if they work really hard at it and they study um, and they get good, down the line they can become winning players. They can potentially make a living from it or they can make a nice supplementary income. I don't think poker players would ever accept a situation where everybody loses. Um, that's that's just not poker. It, it kills the dream. I mean, I've never dreamed of being a professional bingo player. And I know that personally, I've paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to platforms of all natures in rake over the years. So you kill the dream, you kill the aspiration, you kill the game, period. What's happening, my friend? Coach Brad here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a project I've been working on that I think you're going to love. It's an audio learning pack with 64 tracks that will help you master your pre-flop cash game ranges. It's designed to help you gain confidence in your 6 max cash game pre-flop play while you're driving to work, pumping iron at the gym, or walking your dog so that you can sit down at any poker table in the world and be confident you have an edge pre-flop. The audio pack is super easy to use. You'll be able to listen to it in exactly the same way you're currently listening to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. 
The price is 99 shekels and comes with 2 plus hours of audio as well as simplified versions of 60 plus optimal cash game grids for playing 6 max. If you'd like to check out the Preflop Mastery audio pack, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash audio. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash audio. And now, back to the show. The, the real enemy that isn't talked about enough are the bots and real-time assistance. That is the real enemy in the poker world that websites, platforms need to be focused on. I'm, I'm glad you said yeah, absolutely. I've seen some scary YouTube videos recently of, of the real-time assistance. Uh, there's, there's one guy actually twitching himself using it, presumably to try and sell his software. So it's, it's clearly very prevalent now. Long-term, I mean, this is a huge problem for cash. Tournaments is a problem, but not quite as big a problem. And I think if, we, if, if you go on to PKOs, uh, PKOs are more immune than any other form because the real-time assistants won't be able to account for the, um, the bounty. Uh, first of all, they're probably not programmed, but even if they do program, they won't be able to do it perfectly. So I think a lot of the onus now uh, on the sites is not just trying to clamp down on the people who are, in, who are using these bots and real-time assistants, and they need to try and detect them. I mean, I think some of the newer entrants to the market, um, particularly on the app side, I'm not convinced that they're even trying to find these people. They're just saying, well, you know, people do what they want. I know um, one app specifically is because I know the person who's running it, and I, I know. Yeah, that- I, I'm, 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 I'm not putting all apps into the same in, 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 into the same group. There are obviously some better than others, but but um, you, you the sites need to be trying to find these people, and the the, the, the longer established sites that have been along, around for a long time, like Stars, like Unibet, I know that they try really, really hard, and they have all they're they're const- constantly trying to come up with new techniques to catch people. Um, and they're and, and and they're and they're very successful. If you play on those sites, on, when people are caught, you, you you get a refund. So you know, every time Stars sends me back two dollars and forty two cents because they caught somebody who was using it, and they they're spraying their money around. That reassures me that they're that they're they're still trying to find those people. But that that's one aspect. The other aspect that the, the sites can do is they can start trying to think of formats that are more that are that are less susceptible to this form of uh, of cheating and. Um, I, that, that's why I think actually the, the rise of PKOs on the tournament side is very good because it's a format which will never be fully solved. It's a format which the uh, the real-time assistants can't really help you that much with because the strategy is so different from what it would be in a cash game. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, and I, and I do know from talking to people in, in different sites that they're thinking along similar terms as well. They kind of know that you can't stop people from programming bots, but you can you can minimize their profitability and therefore uh, remove their incentive. Yeah. One, one quick thing before, before I give it to Barry. Security and freedom are always directly related. And these apps that are anonymous, where you're free, you don't give any information, are just going to be less secure by nature because there's no know your customer. They don't know who anybody is. So you catch one bot, three more spring up. It's a much harder system to police when you don't give your name and it's an anonymous app. Yeah. I mean, uh, to go back to something we were talking about at the start of the uh, discussion, like, you know, learning new formats. PokerStars went through this period where they brought in a new weird game every sort of 
weeks, you know. And some of them were quite fun. Some of them, the novelty wore out pretty quickly. You know, they, they had Showtime Hold'em where you could see uh, the, the hands that were folded. They had, um, uh, they had like a, a one called Fusion, which was a no-limit PLO hybrid where you got more hold cards as the street progressed. Um, they came in for a lot of criticism when they brought these out because everyone thinks, well, these are stupid novelty games and, you know, they'd find some way of put, attaching the word rake to the name to say it's a rake trap and stuff. But, you know, this is precisely probably what might need to happen in the future of poker to just keep changing the games to, you know, none of these things have been solved yet. And, you know, the really adept student of the game will be able to adapt to all these different formats quicker than anybody else. And I, I think it's, quite a sort of fun refreshing thing and uh, you know we, we poker players tend to be luddites sometimes when it comes to new formats rather than embrace them i mean dara himself said he wasn't a fan of pks when they first came out and uh, it's just it's just the way the game goes i think it's probably going to always have to evolve it's... so that the solvability of it um is is something that's uh, difficult to achieve yeah it's 100% necessary that we need innovation and we need to try different games and try to figure out more fun formats. I think in the Poker Stars situation, it's more of a priming issue where Poker Stars had already primed people to think that they care only about the bottom line and about taking more rake. And therefore, anything that they do, it's soured automatically. Mm-hmm. It's suspicious, right? Like, I think if Galfond at Run It Once comes out with some new format or new game, it would be, it would be taken very, very differently than if you know stars or gg poker did it yeah 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 i think that's that's exactly right and that's that's something i've tried to avoid myself in, in my own reaction obviously i had a very negative reaction to the changes in stars after amaya took over but i still have a lot of friends who work in stars and i am open to you know hearing what they're doing and not necessarily always judging it in, in, in a critical light and giving credit for some of the stuff i do think uh stars have done a lot of good things in the in the last year or so so uh, um and also I, I i appreciate even when myself and david were going after stars pretty hard they it, it never really got personal um you know we it it felt materially different from let's say our arguments with, with daniel where he sort of came back at us personally and you know dragged David's girlfriend into it and so on with stars it always remained there was always a, a conversation where they were you know they might not agree with us but they would listen to our points and um and and maybe argue to the contrary um I think you always need that in poker where people are prepared to argue um over issues like that without it without it descending into personal um vendettas so I mean, I don't have any ill will towards stars. Actually, I think they've done a lot of good stuff in the last year, 18 months. Um, That doesn't excuse what they did before, uh, which was definitely one of the most reprehensible things we've seen in poker. They essentially stole from their most loyal customers. But, you know, we move on. It's it's, it's, It's a different time now. We can't keep dragging that up every time stars introduce a new game or do something new. In persecution of Daniel Negreanu, first I'll say... I don't keep up with what stars does because stars is not available anywhere near where I am. So <laughs> it's like a waste of energy for me. I don't have access to it. But secondly, I do, I do see the irony of Dineg's coming after David, bringing his girlfriend into the equation yeah. and then going absolutely apeshit when somebody talked about his wife. 
Yeah, I thought that was that that was really ironic, and and it was missed in the in the watch because obviously people don't remember eighteen months ago, and and there were, and there was so much to and fro between ourselves and Daniel that not every point was registered with everybody. But yeah, it did seem very ironic that he was like, "Oh well, obviously I can I can say whatever I like because this guy insulted my wife." Well, if you turn that around, then David can say whatever he likes about Daniel for the rest of his life, and Daniel yeah. can't say anything. Now the the story is getting a little clearer. I wasn't aware of that either. You guys, your writing partners, I can't even imagine what it's like having Barry as a writing partner, but how do y'all do? How do y'all make it work? Um, well, basically, Dara's involved of the the high-level stuff, the solvers, the, uh, you know, the, for, the forward thinking, the uh, the credibility, and moral is to just do all the shit that he doesn't want to do. <laughs> and that, that seems to work out pretty well, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Barry's being a little bit self-deprecating there. His, 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 his British sense of self-deprecation is coming true there. But there, there, there's an element of truth into it. And that the, I think the reason why I never wrote a poker book up until now is that there's there was all this stuff I just didn't really want to do, like work out how to submit stuff to Amazon and uh, formatting and all this stuff. So You're a poker player. When, it's laziness. Yeah, when Barry came to me initially, Barry was like, well, I, well I'll do all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. Uh, I'll just like... <laughs> tell you what to write and you'll go off and write it and we this book will magically <laughs> appear on amazon that sounds like a great deal so but actually barry has been much more important to the process than that in, in the sense that it, i think if i had if i written the book either book on my own it wouldn't have been pitched at the right level uh, it's very hard to step back when when you when you have achieved expertise in in, in an area and realize that people who are not expert what they need to be told so typically I would start explaining to something to Barry and he would get none of it. And then he'd ask a pile of questions. And then gradually he would get it to the point where he could write up what it was. And then he'd send it to me and I'd say, no, that's completely wrong. You completely misunderstood <laughs> it. <laughs> we need to go through it again. But actually over the, over the course of the two books, Barry has gotten much faster at sort of understanding doke speak or whatever you want to call it. And translating that into something that um, recreational readers can get. Because the books are essentially pitched at smart recreationals. They're not, um, we don't patronize people in the sense that we put everything in. We don't hold anything back saying like, well, they're not going to understand that. So let's just give them some nice thing, which sounds good, but actually isn't that useful. We do try and give them absolutely the entire strategy, but in a format that they can uh, hopefully digest without having to spend a thousand hours or whatever I spent with, with, with the solvers uh, in the course of writing the book. Yeah, it has to be consumable and it has to be executable and it has to be valuable. It's pretty cool. I see that relationship paying dividends where Barry's, you know, he's market research straight away. And mm. at the end of the day, it's going to create a much higher quality book, I would think. Yeah, Barry's very good on on, on all the um, the industry side. Like he understands uh, how Amazon works. He's put a lot of effort into that. He he's, he's good at marketing. Um, he's obviously good at the writing as well. So he 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 he's really central to all that stuff. And I'm pretty sure, like if you broke down how much uh, time we both put into the book, um, he's probably put in more than I have. Uh, even if you count all of the stuff, all of the solver stuff that I've done as preparation, uh, which isn't strictly speaking just for the book, because it's for my own self-education as well. So uh, it's very time-consuming and Barry. I'm very grateful for the fact that he he basically does all the sort of heavy lifting on that stuff, um, and also the fact that he basically is always just a placeholder for the recreational. Yeah, I do. Like you know, 
you obviously um, do the you solve the work for yourself. I do get coached how to play poker better, so you know I'm doing quite well out of it as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm pretty awesome, Mr. Yeah, we had we, we had a friend of ours who contacted me to to to, to buy some books for her site um, to give out as prizes, and literally every time she rang me, I would just say that's Barry work contact Barry <laughs> and she got to the end of it and she said like do you actually do anything like is there anything that you do is it or is it just that Barry does all the work and you're taking all the credit I, I think it's kind of similar on, on the chip race like David really does most of the work when, when you break it down um but yet it's seen as this sort of like partnership but actually like again it's but David probably puts in nine times as much time as I do um so he deserves a lot of credit on the on the finished product you're you're making me really want to partner with Barry and not you right now. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah, I would recommend. I mean, look at what Barry did before he he partnered with Jared Tender and created uh, two absolute masterpieces, um, which still sell to these day. Yeah, I mean, the, the big difference with those was um, was Jared was a lot more uh, involved with every aspect of the book. That's why that's why they took so long. Um, I'm sure Jared will uh, will not mind me saying there was a lot more sort of heated debate between the two of us about what should go on. He would be correcting me a lot more. Um, he's an absolute perfectionist, Jared, which is why it's you know, one of the best-selling poker books of all time. I really did sweep up and make the tea on that one. <laughs> How does it make you feel, Dara, that Barry is using himself as a testimonial to your coaching ability? Um, alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I mean, Barry is interesting because I, I know he sort of like back in the last century aspired to being a pro for a while, but he, I think he quickly realized that it wasn't for him. But yet he's maintained this sort of enthusiasm for poker, which is actually quite refreshing and infectious. And over the course of the two books, he did actually get, he did improve a, a lot. Um, he became a, well, he was already a pretty good satellite player and he became a really good satellite player. He really took to PQ as like a duck to water, which was probably more surprising to me because Barry's natural style is kind of like cautious and, and, and nitty. But I think once he realized that the correct strategy was to just throw caution to the wind in PQs and go for it, uh, he, he actually got, got, got really, really good at them. So, yeah, I mean, it's, if, if I can turn a sort of a, like um, a not very bright middle-aged man into, <laughs> into a reasonably good poker player, then that's probably a very good testimonial. <laughs> This is horrible. Realize a do little. This this episode's gonna come off, come out, and people are gonna be like, "Oh my god, those bullies just making fun of Barry the whole entire time." <laughs> Please make that the quote of the of the podcast. All of that. Um, Barry obviously was on the show before. Both of you guys have have been on the show before in a one to one capacity. I enjoy. Enjoyed it with both of y'all. Need to have David back on at some point so that he can kind of give the inside scoop on the D-Negs. D-Negs thing, if he wants to talk about it. But to be honest, I don't know. I get to a point to where sometimes it's like, okay, the things have happened and yeah. kind of been yeah, ran into the ground. For sure. I had, I had uh, Matt Affleck on the show and one of the points that I made when I was talking to him was, I'm not going to talk about the 2010 WSF. I'm not even going to ask you about it. Like we're just, we're just going to yeah. speed right through. Yeah, for sure. You can end up talking the same thing. Like David complained to me once that every single podcast interview I give outside of Cipres talks, talks too much about running um, because people bring that up. So I'm, I've been trying to steer away from that. You, there is a danger. People would just keep asking you about the same thing forever and ever. 
when it's when it's the thing that you're most uh, most yeah, known you for. Should, you should be you should try being known for being a writer in poker because every time some guy um eliminate <laughs> from a live poker tournament you get the same freaking thing which is uh you got something to write about now it's like yeah thanks oh, God. <laughs> i'll uh i'll uh, i'll think about that i'm a three hour drive home thank you very much yeah, yeah i used to get that you, you can put that in your blog and it was like yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not going in my blog mate. <laughs> i haven't i haven't had the opportunity to play live poker with anybody since chasing poker greatness launched so i don't have any stories about uh people busting my ass in real life and making a comment guys it's been great great having both of you pkos dari you did one last thing you wanted to to plug about you oh yeah absolutely yeah um well in line with what we were saying about pkos slowly taking over the internet and um i do feel that it'll it'll eventually spread out into live as well but uh the um the, the biggest weekly tournament every week on unibet is a supernova it's our sunday major um and that's that's been the 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 flagship tournament of the week since since um i've been ambassador but they're going to try and experiment on the 13th of september where they're going to make it a pko just for that week and if it if it works well then maybe they'll look at doing it in the future you know i could see it becoming maybe once a month i think if people are thinking of getting into PKOs, it's a really good time to do it because, as we said earlier, like it's um, it's a new area, so you can actually have a big edge. So I think if you, even if you just read the book and assimilated half of it, you would have a significant edge in a PKO. And if you go on to sites where PKOs are just starting and people are sort of fig- the the population are just figuring them out. That's where you're going to have humongous edges. Obviously, on sites like Winamax, where they've been around for five or six years, people play them a bit better now than they did at the start. But at the start, people make huge mistakes in PKOs, and um, and you can really benefit and profit from that. Um, so, yeah, the future is PKOs, basically. Very, very nice. In my in the private Chasing Poker Greatness Slack community, we have a book club where we go through a book, and maybe PKOs will be the next book that we that we spend some weeks and weeks learning. Yeah, I think I think the, 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 the thing about PKOs too is that they're also a lot of fun. They're far more fun than a normal tournament. Like a normal tournament, you can sit there at the start with 500 big blinds and nothing much happens. But in a PKO, there's action right from the start and everybody has to play more gambling style. But also I think there's, there's fun in, in sort of like learning a new strategy. A lot of people, when they read the book, they say to me that they're surprised how different the strategy is and how much stuff that they wouldn't even have considered that they have to think about. And I think that also adds to the fun too. It's just a, a complex, more fun game than literally just sitting there waiting until you have 10 big blinds and then looking at Snapshot to decide which, which hands you should shove. Yeah, it's kind of like cash games where you get some instant gratification. You bust somebody out, you you make some money, and you're like, oh, it's like I did something. You yeah. double up and then double up again in a multi, and then you just bust out and make no money. That's like, oh, great. You know, not very fun. They're actually like cash games um, where there's like a bomb pot um, or whatever you call them. Like it adds this like new dynamic to, to the game where you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do here? I know I've got to go for this thing, and that guy's probably just going for it because it's out there. Yeah. So it's uh, it adds a fun new dynamic to something that's been around for a long time. Guys, final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find y'all? Where can they find your book and where can they find you? 
if they, if they go on Twitter, they'll just see two middle-aged guys insulting each other. For... <laughs> Who look like serial killers, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. thanks for that, Brad. <laughs> I, by the way, that little the story before that went up, I had been telling my wife that like I had felt overwhelmed with hard work, that I just felt like I had too much to do every single day. She came into the room, saw me tweet that off, and said, oh... <laughs> This is the hard work that you spend all your energy on, right? <laughs> yeah, you're spending your time while putting myself and Barry into into a poster with three actual serial killers, <laughs> and nobody can spot the difference. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, that, that 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 was definitely fun. Yeah, I mean, we 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 do have good fun on Twitter. I think one of the, one of the advantages of being of one of us being Irish and the other one being English is that we are sufficiently similar that we get each other's humor but sufficiently different that there's uh, stuff we can sort of uh, react to off each other. Um, the Irish-English dynamic gets obviously has history and gets a lot of flack, but actually I think for the most part, Irish and English people get on great. Um, we have very similar senses of humor. Most of our humor is based on insulting each other. So hey, that's uh, great. That, that really doesn't work with a lot of nationalities. <laughs> A lot of nationalities, you do a funny insult to somebody, it becomes, why are you insulting me? And that's, that's the rest of the argument. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, Irish and English people have, have a different approach on this stuff. So if anybody's looking at it from the outside and think we actually hate each other, they need to understand that context. Yeah. And, and if we did turn on each other at some point in, in, in real life, like how would anyone know? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I, I remember taking aside a, a, a foreign friend who was in Ireland and she was complaining that Irish people insulted her all the time and she really didn't like this and couldn't take it. And I said, like, you have to understand that when we like you, we insult you. If we don't like you, we're really polite to you. And yeah. because because we just don't want to have to engage with you. So we'll, uh, but, but, that, but that can certainly, that cultural norm can confuse people. It, it's like... The Supreme Court, when they made their in the United States, when they made the ruling on pornography, you know it when you see it, right? Yeah. Like that was their definition. And I think that if if I'm legitimately insulting somebody, or if y'all are legitimately insulting somebody, you know it when you see it, right? It's yeah. not uh, it's not just playful banter. It's it's very very different. Yeah, for sure. You, 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 I mean, you have to be careful in this stuff, though, because sometimes I forget that like you know i can insult barry and he won't you know and, and he'll take it properly and i insult david probably 20 times a day and similar reaction but it doesn't work with everybody and you know sometimes i think of something which i think is absolutely hilarious and i want to tweet it but then i realize <laughs> oh no if i if i tweet this this is actually going to start a war i'm going to spend the next week trying to explain that this was a joke to people so i actually can't say it like it's just not my thing people will go like oh no you're the like you're the more circumspect older gentleman of the chip race. So what I always do is I send it to David and he tweets it because he can never <laughs> get away with anything, absolutely anything. He can say anything and people go, ah, that's just Lappin being Lappin. That's, that's his brand. Oh, I've, I've made more than my fair share of calls after conversations going, sorry, man, if I, if I went a little too far, like that's <laughs> yeah. the thing about a joke, right? Like you can cross, you occasionally cross the line yeah. and got to have the wherewithal to say, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. My bad. Yeah, like I, I never get insulted. I, I think it's when you, rather than cross a line, I think it's when you actually hit upon something that someone was self-conscious about. Because I, I genuinely never get insulted by anything. I, I challenge anyone in your audience to try and insult me. And certainly, <laughs> because I'm probably going to enjoy it. The one time I remember feeling quite offended uh, was in Slovenia. Um, I was in a, a poker related, poker trip with this uh, this guy called Mike Lacey, who I think Daryl probably knows. He, I know he, Mike very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it, it was me, there was Mike, there was my wife, and 
uh, we all got into a boat and I got into the boat in a very clumsy manner. I didn't look particularly good. And he he, he just said, oh, was, uh, he got in there very gracefully, Barry. And that's the only time I ever felt really <laughs> insulted as an adult. And he was calling out my ability to sit in a boat because obviously like <laughs> my wife and I, I was kind of like, you know, swaying about. I had a bit of a belly at the time, so it was all over the place. Was it, like, it's the bizarrest thing. Like Dara can like call me like, you know, face or, like all day long. And I'm Burning like, oh, that's funny. But someone points out that I got into a boat a bit weird, and I was kind of upset. <laughs> That's the one that sets you off. I know I, yeah. I made a comment on Twitter, too, about a picture. I think it was on the, the chip race. Y'all chose a, a really horrible picture of Barry where he looked like a psychopath. And I made a, a joke. out there. I, I made yeah, a joke. And, uh, <laughs> I made a joke, and my wife was like, oh, that's mean. You should take that off. You should message him. I was like, ah. Okay. Maybe I, I cross I, the line. I think you should. I think you should say tweet something awful to me in the next <laughs> when your wife is around and see what she's. <laughs> oh, it's going to be about how you get it on and off boats. Oh yeah. Okay. I have to. You gave me the button. We talked about this earlier. You gave me the button now, yeah. and now you're getting strizanded. <laughs> yeah. The great thing about that is I have a very clear image just of how clumsy Barry would would look getting onto a boat. <laughs> you described it so well. <laughs> that's the lasting image of this show is yeah. Barry clumsily getting onto a boat the one yeah. thing he's sensitive about you guys never even said where they can find you on, on the world wide web oh, this, yeah. is a lo- this is the longest oh, yeah, answer Barry. to this question <laughs> ever go, go oh, yeah. sorry yeah, yeah uh, Barry underscore Carter on Twitter and just type PKO into Amazon and you'll find the book awesome yeah I guess Twitter's probably my main starting point you can find everything from there because I tweet spam constantly uh darrow carney all one word um no apostrophe on twitter um from there you get links to the books the the blog the chip race all the other stuff that i do um and uh, and i do answer t- tweets too if you if you try to troll me i'll just ignore you and feel slightly sorry for you but if you uh if you send me a genuine question and uh or you insult me in a funny way um you'll definitely get some interaction Guys, all that all that info is going to be on the show page for the listener. Thank you all for your time and your energy. I loved it. I definitely want to do it again sometime in the near future. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.